Shepherd. We are drawing to the end of our of the first half of this letter. We will get there next week, but open with me this week to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be reading together verses 14 through 19. I will read out loud. You follow along, whether it's in your copy of God's Word or on the screen. Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And Paul is returning to prayer. So he says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is Paul's prayer by the inspiration of the Spirit. That is my prayer for us this morning as we look at his word. Amen. It was May the 30th, 1792, at the Baptist Association meeting in Nottingham, England, and there was a young man, William Carey, 30 years old at the time, who got up and preached a sermon to his Baptist colleagues, many of them older than he was, most of them older than he was, and his purpose was to convince them to fund and to staff international missions. Uh, We know, looking back in history, that less than a year later, William Carey himself departed on a ship for India, where he would serve for 41 years without ever coming home to England. The outline of William Carey's sermon that night in 1792, I think, captured this adventurous spirit that he had, but also his faith in God's awesome power. He had two points, and the points were these. Expect great things and attempt great things. Maybe you've heard that expression, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. William Carey believed that God had made him for a purpose, and he was confident that God would do great things as the Spirit of God that called him to them worked them out in him. Because of his influence, William Carey is known as the father of modern missions. I wonder how you react to that, that story. He's, he's framed it in such a way that is, it is a soundbite that we take away and, and, and could inspire us. I, I hear that story and I am inspired for a minute. <laughs> and then I activate the electronic recline on my couch. And I... Um, I cover my cold feet with my blanket. And as I'm contemplating how I might act on this inspiration, I um, stream the next episode that I'm watching in Netflix and enjoy the meal that I'm ordering from DoorDash. (laughs) Expect great things from God. Maybe. I think theoretically he could do great things. Attempt great things for God. Hmm. I may try that tomorrow or the next day or maybe next week. Actually, I'm pretty busy during the holiday season, so I might have to wait till after the first of the year. Um, 
Actually, I'm just establishing a routine and a rhythm in my life. So let me, let me get that going and then I might attempt those great things. Actually, you know what? Life is pretty busy. I'm trying to build up retirement. Maybe I'll wait till I'm retired. Yeah, that's it. I'll wait till I'm retired to attempt great things for God. Um, I just want to rest after punching the clock my whole life. So just give me a minute once I'm retired, and then I'll start to see how I can attempt those great things for God. It's easy for us to justify, isn't it? To give God the leftovers. To allow ourselves to grow satisfied with just regular, everyday, run-of-the-mill results. Carrie said this, expect great things from God, do you? He said, attempt great things for God, do we? I think that's what Paul's talking about in this passage, is that believers can access this amazing power of God. And, and they, they, they access it when they experience the Christian life together. But I'm, I'm fearful that so often we settle for something less than the full meal deal. Don't you want to be filled with God's fullness? Don't you want to see what great things He can do through your life? Through Community Bible Church, that, that's what Paul is praying for the Ephesian believers to discover. That's what the Holy Spirit is urging us toward this morning. And, and we find him in the midst of a prayer to that end. In fact, some commentators would say this whole, this whole three chapters has been one giant prayer, kind of interrupted at various points by thoughts that Paul is having. And so the prayer that he's praying in the first chapter is the same prayer that he's praying in the third chapter. So let's look at it this morning. Let's look at how Paul prays and then what he prays. And it might give us an insight into what we should be praying, into what your pastor is praying for you this morning. So let's look at how a pastor first prays for his church, starting in verse 14. First look at how he prays. Paul's posture as he goes to prayer, I think, is important for us to note. He comes to God with, with an intimacy, but at the same time, he recognizes God's authority. So he starts by saying this in verse 14, I bow my knees. And we all know that that's sort of a, a, a prayer posture that we could take, although we don't often take that posture. And in the same way, it wasn't common necessarily for people in the early church or in Paul's day to uh, actually get on their knees in prayer. But just like us, where we might really be serious and passionate about asking God for something in particular, we might show that by our physical posture. That's the same thing that Paul is doing here. He's saying, I, I am expressing my passion and my humility and my submission, and I am on my knees in prayer. And it's clear when we look at it why Paul is adopting this sober approach, this sincere approach. He says, for this reason... I bow my knees. He's overcome with the truth that he has been teaching to the Ephesians. From the beginning of the letter, we've seen from Paul this theology that is clear. It is cohesive. It all fits together. But at certain points, we've seen Paul break out of his, um, his organizational explanation. And we've seen his passion shine through his talking points. And this is one of those times. 
recall this, he's spoken about God's glory in chapter 1. The miracle of salvation in chapter 2. And the church's unity in Christ in the first part of chapter 3. And I think it's especially this last point that causes Paul now to say, for this reason, I'm praying for you, Ephesian believers. Not only that you'll understand these things, that you'll grasp these things, but that you'll allow the truths to energize your lives in such a way that it'll make a difference. Paul, Paul is so impressed that not only are his words going to express this further, but his whole body is going to put himself in a posture of petitioning before God. He's on his knees for these reasons that he has unpacked for the Ephesian believer. And look also now, he, he prays to the Father. Now, now, we've been taught to pray to the Father. And that's a good thing. But Paul has been using this term of intimacy and explaining to the Ephesian believers along the way this idea of God as Father. Remember, let's walk you back through the first couple of chapters. He told them in chapter 1, verse 5, the Ephesians, that they've been adopted by God. He told them that they are heirs of the riches of God, chapter 1, verse 11. They're part of God's household in chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. They have access and confidence to approach God on his throne, chapter 2, verse 8, and chapter 3, verse 12. Paul has been building an argument since the beginning of the letter, and now he's putting it all together by modeling to the Ephesians believers this close familial relationship. And God the Father allows that intimacy. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. But at the same time, he retains his authority in Paul's prayer. Look at it there in verse 15. It is from him that every family in heaven and on earth is named. That act of naming is an act of lordship, of authority. Remember in Genesis, Paul, uh, God gives to Adam dominion over creation and he one of the acts that he has him do is name all the animals and here every family in heaven and on earth is named god's rule and reign is the ultimate rule and reign and yet at the same time paul can come to him in intimacy because of the reality of his salvation but he also comes with the confidence knowing that god has all authority to answer any request that Paul is bringing to him. And we're reading this prayer. It's, it's, it's words on a page. And so it can be hard for us to hear some of the inflections in Paul's voice. But when we start to look at it a little more in detail, it's clear that Paul is laying it all on the line. He's passionately pleading with the all powerful, sovereign creator of the universe who holds all things in his hand with absolute confidence, Paul comes to him. In fact, I think it's the confidence of the grandchild that comes to grandpa asking him for a piece of candy that he knows he has in his pocket. I love you. I'm close to you. I'm asking you for this because I know you can take care of it. And I wonder, is that what our prayers are like? Do we, do we speak to God like He is close and intimate? 
Do we speak to God at all? I know there's, there's lots of people who say, ah, I don't, uh, uh, prayer's a difficult thing for me. Or, or maybe prayer has become sort of a, a, a ceremonial thing for us. We know we should pray before a meal, so we recite that prayer like it's a poem that we memorized when we were children. Or we come to a church meeting and we expect that we would open with prayer. We expect that we would close with prayer because it's the signal that the meeting is opening and closing. But it's more of a formality. In prayer, we are talking to our Heavenly Father. We are talking to our Abba. We are talking to the one who adopted us from the domain of darkness into the light. And he gives us every good gift. And prayer is that time where we can come and ask and respond to those things. In prayer, we are accessing the Most High God, the one who rules over the entire universe. And you and I, if you are a believer this morning, we have permission to come to him with boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what Paul said just a couple of verses ago. Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. So do we pray prayers, I wonder, that demand God's intervention to be answered? Or are we satisfied with those safe prayers that we, we know will probably work out regardless? Uh, some of you have heard of pastor and author A.W. Tozer. He said it this way. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we, would, we do would go on and no one would know the difference. On the other hand, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, the Ephesian church, for instance, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. We, we have a relationship with, we have access to, the one who controls all things. So let's start to ask him for requests that will bring him glory by Asking him to do things that only he can do. So that when he does them, there is no one to turn to and give the credit to except for him. There's a story told. It's more of a legend at this point, and so I don't know if it's actually true, but it makes the point, so I'm going to tell it. Uh, it was during the American Civil War, and there was a young soldier in the Union Army and he had lost both his father and his older brother at the Battle of Gettysburg. And so he decided to go to Washington and he wanted to see President Lincoln to ask him for an exemption from military service so that he could go home and take care of his family, his sister and his mother with all the things going on at home. So he arrived in Washington and he went to the White House. But as he approached the front gate and he asked to see the president, the guard on duty told him this, you can't see the president, young man. The president is very busy. Now go back to the battlefield where you belong. And so he went away. And while he was sitting on a park bench not far from the White House, a little boy came up to him and asked him what was wrong. And so the soldier began to share his story. And the boy listened and said, I can help you. So he took the soldier by the hand and he led him back to the front gate of the White House. And apparently the guard didn't notice him because they walked straight through. 
And they went in the front door and no one noticed them. And they got inside and they walked right past all the generals and the high-ranking officials and no one said a word. And the soldier couldn't understand what was happening. Why wouldn't anyone stop them? Finally, they reached the Oval Office while the president was working and the little boy didn't even knock to go into the door. He just walked right in, took the soldier with him, and the president glanced at the soldier and, and he looked at the boy and he said, Good afternoon, Tad. <laughs> Can you introduce me to your friend? And you know Tad, Tad Lincoln, son of the President of the United States, says, Dad, this soldier needs to talk to you. And so the soldier pleaded his case before Mr. Lincoln, and right then and there he received the exemption for what he desired. Now, I don't know if that story is true, but it perfectly illustrates, doesn't it, that in prayer we are invited to come before the Father who has absolute authority and control over all things. We, are, we approach in intimacy because we have status as God's children. We approach with confidence knowing that God is in control of all things. And so we are invited and called to pray with a passion and an urgency to see God accomplish His will, which He's already outlined in Scripture. So let's think about our prayers for a moment. What do they reveal about us, about what we believe? In his commentary on this very passage, John Stott wrote this, one of the best ways to discover a Christian's chief anxieties and ambitions is to study the content of his prayers and the intensity with which he prays them. What would your prayer, what would my prayer reveal about what we think and what we believe? How do you, how do you approach God in prayer? Paul does so intimately and confidently and I think so can we. But let's look at what Paul asks for. What would a pastor pray for his church? And we find this starting in verse 16. There are really three purpose clauses. And uh, they're in verse 16, 18, and the second half of verse 19. They're not, they're not three separate requests, but they're sort of like one request that telescopes out in intensity. So first purpose clause, Paul in verse 16 asks for power. Here's what he prays, that the Ephesians, to the Ephesians, for the Ephesians, that he may grant you power. Now, Paul has been declaring God's greatness and his beauty and his majesty throughout the letter. And here he connected these truths to this request for power. Look at it, verse 16. He asks for power according to the riches of his glory. Let's look back for a second, because I said this prayer connects back to chapter 1, so we're going to flip back and forth a little bit, probably just one page back in your Bible, chapter 1, verses 17 through 23. Paul is praying there in, in verse 17, and he proclaims this, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward those of us who believe? according to the working of his great might, so that he might, so that, that he worked in Christ. In fact, go back to verse 17, look at what he says. He says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, 
the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, those riches and that, that glory. Previously, here's what had happened. Paul prayed that the, that the Ephesians would, would know the wealth of their inheritance in Christ. But now, Paul prays that they can access that wealth. Not just that they would know about it, but that they would have access to it. Previously, I would say it this way, Paul had prayed for the people's enlightenment, and now, in chapter 3, he is praying for their empowerment. Back to chapter 3, Paul explained that request for God's power to be evident among the people, he asked, verse 16 of chapter 3, that God would grant the people to be strengthened. And notice, it's not just a physical strength that he was requesting. The strength he was asking for was through his spirit in their inner being. Now let me ask you this. We hear prayer meeting, we hear prayer request, and where does our mind almost automatically, almost immediately in this day and age go. It, it often goes to prayer requests whose needs are merely physical. Some of those requests will, in the normal of course of time, be resolved. God, I'm sick. Help my sickness. Well, it's the cold. You'll be over it in three to five days. Not that God doesn't care. He cares about those things. He cares about us intimately, as we said before. He knows the number of hairs on our head. But we are much more likely to pray for things that we know will be answered, safe prayers, than we are to pray for things that defy a physical explanation. And so we pray for safe travels on our trip, knowing that if we just drive carefully, we're probably going to get work to where we're going safely. God can give us the power of His Spirit to accomplish His great purposes in our lives. And that's what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. Paul explains this power a little bit more, requesting that Christ would dwell in their hearts, the Ephesians, through faith. Now go back, go back to the prayer of chapter 1 again. I want us to see this. It is the same power that God uses to raise Christ from the dead. This resurrection power in chapter 1, verse 20. The working of his great might, verse 19, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Resurrection power. And seated him at the right hand of the Father. And this is the power that Paul wants the Ephesian people to know. He is asking that the risen and powerful Christ would make his personal presence available in the lives and hearts of the people, that they would be rooted and grounded in love. See, he wants the people to experience the love of Christ, understanding that that experience is going to unlock the power for them. Love and power. It's an interesting combination Let's look at how the two things connect. 
So not only does Paul pray that people experience this power from God, but also that they gain a perspective. Look at, um, that's Paul's second purpose clause, starting in verse 18. So he's building on the theme of power, and he prayed that the people may have strength, but this strength comes in being able to look at it to comprehend the love of Christ. Now when he says comprehend, he uses a word there that means this, to seize with the mind. For Paul, this comprehension of the love of Jesus comes through experience. And it gives meaning to every part of the people's lives. And as a result, they're going to experience his power. This, this, and this powerful love of Jesus has breadth and length and height and depth and it's only understood through the experience of its vastness see paul paul has gone beyond the page here he he is just starting to reflect on god's power in his own life and it has all of those dimensions and he's having trouble putting it into words i believe it reaches out in every direction, and Paul wants the people to know it. He wants them to comprehend it. He wants them to grasp it, to seize it with their mind and experience it. And he wants that it would give them a new perspective to strengthen them. But notice, that perspective was not something unique to each individual. They were to comprehend it with all the saints. Here's, here's Paul's togetherness theme again. They are to know and experience the corporate reality of the love of Christ. It's in the community of their church that has a common heritage in Jesus that they can truly experience God's powerful love. Paul, Paul doesn't want them just to be aware of it, that it exists somewhere out there in the universe. He wants them to know and experience it deeply and intimately and powerfully. And he wrote that he wanted them to, watch this, he, he wrote this, he wants them to know the love of Christ. What does it say? That surpasses knowledge. He wants them to know something that is, is too wonderful, too expansive to really be known. What Paul prays for the Ephesians cannot be, cannot be gained through Bible study alone. What Paul prays for the Ephesians cannot be a process of self-discovery. It has to be experienced and lived in community with other believers. This, this transforming work of salvation, bringing people of diverse backgrounds and interests and values together in a way that can only be explained by the gospel. Now, the climax of Paul's request for power is in this last purpose clause. Second half of verse 19, he prays for what I'm going to call perfection. Look at it. Verse 19b, he asks that the people be filled with the fullness of God. Now stop and contemplate that just for a second. Filled, not to their capacity, but with the fullness of God. 
I use that word perfection. Obviously, he's not suggesting moral perfection, but a completeness, a full to overflowing. Now look back again one more time at the previous prayer in chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Here's what he says. He gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. See, Paul, Paul's already spoken about this idea. It's the church in the prayer of chapter 1 that is the fullness of God. The power that was at work raising Jesus from the dead is meant to be seen as Jesus operates as the head and the ruler of his people, the church. It's in the church that the people of God are going to find that power. They're going to find the fulfillment and the completion of their Christian life as they participate with other people in the life of the church. They're going to find their power as they live with and live for other Christians. And I wonder how many Christians are not experiencing that resurrection power in their Christian life because they're trying to do it on their own. It's something that only God can bring about. It's something that Paul is praying for the Ephesian people, but he knows that if it's going to happen, it's going to have to be God's work, and it's going to have to be in community with other believers in the church. Family, this is what I am praying for CBC. I want each and every one of us to know the fullness of God, to be filled with the fullness of God. And I want us to understand that that divine power that is available in the Christian life is available to us. But understand, this kind of knowledge, this kind of experience is totally countercultural. The world tells us that the accumulation of power is an individual pursuit. If I'm going to accumulate power, I must do so in isolation through individual discipline. Perhaps even in competition with you as you seek the same thing. Paul's prayer teaches us that the Spirit of God indwells believers and provides them with that power when they live together. I wonder, I wonder if we're taking advantage of that resource to the fullest. Maybe we're waiting for some sort of generic power to wash over us. We, we define that on our own. But Paul's praying for a specific outpouring of a specific power of God shown in the community of the church to be a beacon of light to an unbelieving world. The kind of thing that causes people to stand up and take notice. Let me give you a for instance. You know that as Christians we strive for holy living. The power of God is available to us to live a holy life that is pleasing to God and good for us. Maybe for you there are sins that you've allowed to maintain that hold in your life can't shake free of them. And you've tried to do it through every 
self-help process available to you. It's just the problem. Self-help. Why not share those things with another believer and ask them for help? And then when God has given you victory in that particular area, He may use you as a testimony to share with others who are struggling with the same sin. Yeah, I was a slave to that same thing that you are struggling with. But brother, sister, there is hope in Christ because you too can have victory. And I'm willing to walk alongside you to access the power of God to live a holy life because that is His purpose and plan for you. The power of the Holy Spirit can work to restore a broken marriage between two Christians at odds. God's power can give you the ability to mend friendships damaged by gossip and betrayal. The the power of the Holy Spirit can give you peace in difficult times of health difficulties or financial hardships. And your brothers and sisters in Christ I pray we'll surround you and bear those burdens with you in that moment. Look, it's, it's not that Christians have different level of success in life. It's not that Christian people don't have the same difficulties as unbelievers. It's that we, by the power of God, respond to them differently, or at least we can, by accessing this power promised and provided in the gospel. And maybe you're sitting there this morning and you think to yourself, um, I don't have that. And maybe you haven't placed your faith and trust in Jesus and you know that your life is a mess. You don't know where to turn. I cannot promise you that if you turn to Christ, everything will be okay, that every problem will be solved but I can promise you that you will have access to the same power that Paul promises to the Ephesians. I can promise you that you will gain a family that will walk beside you through those trials. It's my prayer that God may allow something unique to happen in and through our church. For people to see us as God works through us in a supernatural way to unify us and draw other people to the gospel. To see people conquer sin and face hardship together, allowing us a singular witness to the world that certainly is out there looking for answers for themselves. Would God in His wisdom, we're just praying about this as elders this morning, allow a new era of revival to sweep through our valley. I would say it is, not, it is not unreasonable. It is, in fact, it is very reasonable and expected that we would be praying for the power of God to be manifested in this way. And in the meantime, let's just live together and love one another that will allow us, allow God to use us for his purposes to that end. This power that's available to us, it's, it's different, man. There's certainly nothing special about you. There's certainly nothing special about me except that we are joined together in the body of Christ, in the family of God. And in that family, we can experience and display God's power 
in order to witness him work salvation in the world. That's what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. That's what I'm praying for Community Bible Church. Now you know because we've been reading it every week that Paul closes his prayer in verses 20 and 21. And again, there's that finger pointing at God's power and asking him to display it through his church for his glory. And we're going to finish our series with that next week, but allow me just to close this moment this morning by reading those verses. Here's what Paul says and prays and how he finishes this prayer this morning. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Pray with me. I confess, God, that my prayers too often lack a vision of you. And so, God, I come to you on behalf of Community Bible Church this morning and I ask that you would do something that we can't even ask or think or maybe even imagine. And, God, that we would be open to that and that we would be ready for that because of our small steps of faith and obedience to you. Father, every time someone proclaims the name of Christ in salvation and they cross from death to life, that power is on display. God, would you allow us to see that this morning? Perhaps there is even someone here who does not know you, who, who, who knows that you are their only hope. We would rejoice to see that this morning. God, will you knit our hearts together as family, knowing that overcoming the obstacles that exist between us is a display of your power. God, would you make us expectant and would you make, make us anxious and you, would you make us even impatient to see you do things, not for our excitement, but for the opportunity to see your glory displayed in our church, displayed in Central Point, displayed in Oregon. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.